our goal together is to commit to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to yield His fruit in our everyday lives. Now what that means is that we are so under the influence or control of the Holy Spirit that when someone catches us at home or someone catches us at work or someone runs into us or has sort of dealings with us in our marriage and our family and our home or even at some recreational place they will see or experience the fruit of the spirit coming out of us like it will not be works of the flesh but works of the spirit in our first two messages we really focused on what it means to walk in the spirit to operate in the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As Christians, when we get born again, the new birth happens in our life. The Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells our heart, and it sets up a war, it sets up a battle that is going to begin that day and will not end until you wake up uh, to be with the Lord. And that, that happens in our life, and that battle begins, and something begins in this process uh, in between now to heaven. This process is called sanctification. I could give you a long theological definition, but let me just give it to you in a plain definition. It means to be less like you and more like Jesus in your everyday life, in every area of your life. So, so we are in this process, like I said last week, we really should hang signs around ourselves to say we are a work in progress, right? God is at work in our hearts. So we yield to the Spirit of God. He produces us to become more like Christ. And the only way that can happen is through the Holy Spirit. We cannot make this up on our own. We cannot try harder or do better. We must learn how to surrender. And when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, then we can begin to become more like Him. He begins to produce these fruit. But the problem is that we can quench the Holy Spirit, right? And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about this last week. If you missed that message, you can go back and look at it on YouTube. Uh, what we do when we, when we do things we know we're not supposed to do, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We're convicted not to say something to that person or we're convicted not to retaliate or we're convicted not to do uh, something and we do it, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It shrinks him back. He grieves over that. Or when we're supposed to do something and we don't do it. When God puts it on your heart to give to someone and you don't do it, you quench the Spirit. When God asks you or puts it on your heart to pray and you don't pray, or when God asks you to witness to someone, you don't share Christ with them, you shrink back the spirit in your life. That voice that comes so clear from the Lord becomes a whisper or instead of a bright light, it's like a flickering candle. And we push the Holy Spirit away, we grieve Him, we quench Him, but we should desire to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should want Him to produce these fruit in our life. And these fruit are very easily identified in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is the, the whole series. We're going to anchor down for the rest of the time in this. It says they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as we are yielding to the Spirit, He abides in our life and He produces this spiritual fruit in our life. Every healthy tree bears fruit. If you have a tree that's not bearing fruit, you've got to check the root, right? Something's wrong with the root. Rather than the works of the flesh in our life, 
we should see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It is a process that happens and begins as you walk this out. It should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these fruit are nine fruit. They say, that's great. You got your education from Alabama. I could count up to nine, all right? Thank, thank goodness it didn't go over ten. I had to take off my shoes to finish the rest of them out. But I, up to nine fruit. These are all very fascinating in and of themselves, but together they have a meaning as well. All nine of them point to a character of one person. You know what it is? Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is just a character sketch of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus Christ, or His role is to glorify Jesus Christ. And what He does is when He works on us, He makes us more like Christ. He brings glory to God. So the more we walk in the Spirit, the more we become like Christ. And I said, well, Pastor Ted, I've never had that experience in my life. Well, you need to check the root, right? That's what I was saying earlier. If you've never desired or wanted to be more like Christ, you must check the root. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. Only you and God know that. But what I will say is that you need to check to make sure that you have this evidence of the fruit in your life because it's automatic. If you have the root, it's going to produce these things. And just looking at these together, all nine of them, there's, there are groups of three. The first grouping, love, joy, and peace. That's inward fruit. That's what begins to happen in the desires of your heart. Uh, you begin to love. You begin to have joy. You begin to have peace in your desires. The next three, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. That's outward fruit. You become patient with people. You become patience, uh, patient with things. You become like Christ and long-suffering. Then you are kind and you are good to people. That's an outward fruit. Then the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's an upward fruit. This is your relationship to God. This is you becoming more faithful and more gentle, which means just meekness and more controlled by God. That's the upward fruit. The inward fruit, the outward fruit, and the upward fruit. They are remarkable when we study them. And we're going to begin with the first one. Now, as we identify these, it's important for us to, to look at these and try to remember what they are so we can recognize them in our life. We also need to recognize the work of the flesh in our life to be able to get, them, get that out of our life. And so it's kind of like, have you ever bought a new car or a new truck? Well, I haven't bought a new truck yet. I should have bought a new truck. But uh, last week, uh, Pastor Appreciation uh, came along, and you guys gave me a $200 gift card to AutoZone. I want to thank you for that because the starter went out of my truck this week, all right? So I went out there to get a new starter. If you ever put a new starter in a truck and a Chevy truck, uh, it's not a very pleasurable experience, all right? And I just thank the Lord the first fruit was not patience this morning because right? I would not have been able to preach the message, all right? Uh, they took a poll at my house and they said, what is the worst thing you like to do with dad? And all, both of my boys said, work on trucks with them. So uh, it, it is when you see a car or truck, you, I, I have wanted one. So I begin to look for them. I think, wow, that's a neat truck. I've I don't know anybody who has that truck. You don't see that truck very often. You don't see that color. You don't see that style. And all of a sudden, when you become aware of that, you start looking. And all of a sudden, you go, oh, there's one of those trucks, right? And there's one, and there's one. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, somebody at church has a truck like that. You know, you're like, all of a sudden, you point them out. Not, not that they weren't always there, but because now you're focusing on them. You are noticing them because you have awareness. That's what I want you to do, to look at this fruit of the Spirit and be aware. Be aware to be able to identify 
Am I operating in the power of the Holy Spirit in this, or am this is a work of the flesh? So, this morning, love. I'm afraid most of us do not know what love is, especially in our world, and this version of love, uh, automatically, when anyone ever talks about love or the subject of love, that song pops into my mind, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? That's basically what we have in Christianity, what we have in America today. But love is different. Love is almost impossible to find. It's overwhelming when you really try to define it. And it's overwhelming because God is love. This is a characteristic of God himself. At his nature, he is love. And so it's impossible to define love. The best you can do is try to describe it and try to illustrate it. So that's what I'm going to try to do. In your Bible, the New Testament's written in Greek. And the Greek language, there are three descriptive words for love. And as a consensus of most Bible scholars, there are three. Some say there are four, but fourth one is just a compound word. And you might even wonder, why are we talking about Greek words, Pastor Ted? Well, I want to make myself feel better for getting a seminary degree, all right? It hasn't been good for anything else it taught me. But anyways, I just want to be able to say, I know a little bit of Greek. That was worth the money that I went to go get this degree for. But, but the purpose of the Greek language is not just by happenstance. It was God's divine purpose. It is a very descriptive language. It is very textual in the meaning that you could dig down and get to the root meaning of the words. And they're very, very specific. So in the Bible, you encounter three types of love or three words for love. First is the eros love, E-R-O-S. This is a love that's just a consuming love. It would be something we would describe as lust. You have a need or a desire. You see something, you desire it, you lust after it, you consume it. And after you consume it, it goes away. And after the need is met, no longer, the person or the thing is no longer needed. So you may love something one minute and you hate it the next, right? You may love something and consume it, but then all of a sudden it's transitory. Well, God's love is not transitory. This is not the love of God. God did not have a need that needed to be selfishly met. We tend to love that way, right? Some people build their family on that. Some people build their marriage on that. And what they realize is once that need is met or that need goes away, the love is gone. That's eros love. Second type of love is phileo love. This is brotherly love. This is a little deeper, but it's still not quite to the level of God's love. Uh, Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And we went there several years ago as a family. I can tell you there wasn't a whole lot of love for one another in Philadelphia. And I think it's gotten worse probably as, uh, as you see it on the news a lot. But what it means is someone loves you as a friend so you do something for them, and they do something for you. It's a mutual kind of thing. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, right? The fourth compound word that I mentioned earlier comes from this kind of word as well, but it's a, it means to a family type of love. So not only brotherly love, but like a familial love, like love for brothers and sisters or aunts and uncles or grandmas and grandpas. Recently, in my home, this love has been challenged between brothers and sisters. Now, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and their two brothers are giving her a run for the money, but you still see that kind of love for one another. Deep down, they love one another. That's what we always say, right? But that kind of love is just a phileo love. But God did not need a friend. We didn't do something for God, and then God did something for us. It's not a mutual kind of love. God's love is way deeper than that. God's love in the Greek word is agape. That's our third and the most highest level of love. 
It comes from the highest order, God himself. It flows from God, and only from God does this love flow. Agape love. A-G-A-P-E. That's how it's spelled in our English language. Four characteristics this morning I want to share with you about this agape love. Four things that we can try to describe or identify in this agape love that comes from God. Now, I want to use a verse that's very familiar to almost everyone. Probably most of you have seen this verse or heard this verse. Have you ever been around Christianity or maybe been to a football game or maybe seen some uh, thing on TV? They always, without fail, have some sort of sign that says John 3.16, right? John 3.16, here's what John 3.16 says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life in this verse i want to use this to describe or to illustrate four types of characteristics of god's love first agape love is unconditional god's love is unconditional look what it says here for god so loved the world now he's not talking about a geographical space he's not talking about what we call the earth he's talking about every single person that's ever been born He's talking about from eternity past to eternity future. Every person that has, been, uh, has taken a breath, he is saying, I love them. Agape love. I mean, how, how, how incredible, right? And you say, well, what did God love? What did he base his love on? Nothing. It was unconditional. It is that God so loved the world, every single person. And I know this is very hard for us to understand or wrap our mind around this kind of love because, let's face it, our love is always conditional most of the time, right? We love someone because we like them. We love someone because they look like us, right? But God's love was not, not discriminatory. It, it, God's love was based on not a nationality or an ethnicity. It was based on a love that God loved for everyone, he did not classify. He did not discriminate. He didn't say there was a wrong color or a right color. He didn't say there was a level of prosperity or a social class you had to meet. His love covered the whole world. There was a pastor in Jacksonville. He's passed away several years ago, and he was a, a black pastor uh, over at the beaches. And I used to listen to him on the radio all the time. He would open up every single broadcast the same way. He would say, Jesus loves from the guttermost to the uttermost. And I thought, what a perfect illustration. From, from the gutters all the way to the utters, he would say. And listen, we even as well, maybe some of you grew up or you know the song from Sunday school. Jesus loves the children. All the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Now I know in our culture of division and a, of hate, and this woke type of thinking that Christianity is referred to a limited religion or a religion of one race, the white race or right color, or even as an oppressive God who doesn't love all people. But let me tell you, nothing could be further from the heart of God. God is a God who loves unconditionally. He is a God who loved the world. He loved every single person that has taken a breath. And this unconditional love is not just not discriminatory, but it, he, loves the, he, loves the, he loves the unlovable, right? He loves his enemies. Isn't that we are friends with God and he loves us? He loved us as enemies. He loves his enemies. Matter of fact, Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. 
He tells him, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the, his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not even the tax collectors do the same? Are you overwhelmed thinking of this? How can it be possible in your life? How can you love people that are your enemies? How can you love people that are not like you? How can you love people that, are not, that your flesh don't naturally gravitate towards them, right? Sometimes we draw these lines and conditions like we love these people that are only of the same political party, right? How can I love someone if they're not like me politically? How can I love someone if they don't cheer for my football team, right? If you go to any major school, they have these, they have these, uh, these, they have these rivalries. I went to school in Alabama. I didn't go to the University of Alabama. I went to a smaller school just south of Tuscaloosa where the University of Alabama is. And let me just tell you, are any Alabama people in here? All right? any, well, y'all are crazy if you're from Alabama, all right? Let me tell you, Alabama people are crazy about football. Auburn and Alabama. When I signed up for my classes, the registrar was there, and she says, uh, she took me in her office. She said, what do you want to sign up for? I was talking a little bit. She says, now, tell me, you're from Florida. Who are you going to choose? Alabama or Auburn? I said, well, I'm for the Florida Gators, right? She goes, uh, for me, I was like, that was the wrong answer. You know why? I ended up in a ballerina class. That's what I got. I was like, boy, that was the wrong answer. I'll never forget what she told me. She said, I, I'll tell you the truth. I've been in Alabama. You're going to learn three things you don't talk bad about, son. I said, what's that? She said, Bear Bryant, Elvis, and God in that order. I was like, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. Now, listen, many of us gather hate in our hearts for no good reason. Maybe it's a football team, maybe it's a color of skin, maybe it's something that we gather up and for some reason we begin to have ill will towards these people and we discriminate and maybe even unforgiveness in our heart for no reason. But, but what the scripture says, if we walk in the flesh, that conditional love will become unconditional. All of a sudden your hate and your, and your hate will turn into love. You will begin to love not just people like you, but you'll begin to love everyone. You'll begin to love people who are not even like you. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus told his disciples, This new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me tell you, that God's unconditional love is remarkable, but when we let the Holy Spirit begin to work in our life, our hearts begin to change like that. And your hearts begin to break for people who are not like you. Let me tell you, in your marriage, if you can learn how to let the Holy Spirit operate in your heart and you have an unconditional type of love for your spouse, that will change your marriage. It is no longer what you do for me and what I do for you. It's this unconditional love that you, you do something for someone or you love them irregardless of what they do or who they are. It'll change the way you parent as well with your children. Does your children know that you love them unconditionally? Does your children know that you will never draw lines and you will never push them away, that you love them irregardless of what they do? It's an unconditional love. It will change the way you come to church and serve as well. Listen, so many times people come to church to be served or to be a part of something, and they have these conditions. And listen, if you have the unconditional love, you will reach out to all people and all different kinds of people. 
me tell you what I've learned about the family of God. It's amazing the different personalities and types and people that God brings together as a family of God. It really is remarkable. And, and if you come to church and you have these conditions and you have this push people away and you show this conditional love, that's not letting the Holy Spirit operate in your heart. When you yield to the Holy Spirit of God, He's going to produce this unconditional love. And that's just, the, that's just the first one. We have three more to go, all right? Agape love is not just unconditional, it's sacrificial. Look at the second part of this. He loved the whole world and He gave His only begotten Son. He gave. It's one thing to say you have love, right? It's one thing to say, oh, I feel sorry for you. I have pity for you. You ever heard someone say, my heart goes out for you? but yet they leave you right where they found you, right? They didn't do anything about it. They didn't sacrifice anything. Listen, God saw the need, and he loved you, and he sacrificed for it. He didn't sacrifice something that didn't cost him something. He sacrificed the very best. He sacrificed Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his own son. God's love does not wish us to be well. God's love just didn't have pity. God's love just didn't return a favor for a favor. He gave a selfless act of sacrifice. That's true love. That's God's kind of love. Romans 5.8 says this, part of the Romans road to salvation. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What this means is in the gospel of Christ that we come to God as a sinner, and we have violated God's standards, and yet God still proved his love. That while we were in that condemned state, while we were under judgment, he proved his love toward us that he died for us. The cross of Jesus Christ stands in out eternity and shouts, God loves you. That's what the cross says. And every single person who ever doubts God's love can look to the cross and say, he loves me because he proved it to me because he sacrificed for me. And when you begin to learn how to sacrifice like that, when you begin to learn to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and you put other people first and you start to do things for people not expecting anything in return, that's what true love does. True love is not, I'm going to do this for you because I know they will do this for me. True love says, I'm doing this for you and expecting nothing in return. It's a sacrificial uh, gift. It's a sacrificial love. You want to talk about changing your life? You want to talk about changing your marriage? You want to talk about changing your, 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 your uh, community life? You let the Holy Spirit go to work in your heart, and you begin to sacrifice on other people's behalf, and you go from being selfish to selfless. People's going to notice. They're going to say, what is, what is the change in you? What has happened in your life because that love that now is uh, being exhibited in your life is not just unconditional, but now it's sacrificial and that you are doing and serving others. Instead of waiting to be served, you're the first one to serve. Instead of expecting someone to do something for you, you do it uh, before they could do anything for you. Think about this. How would this change the church of Jesus Christ if we were full of people who would sacrificially give to one another? To serve one another. Listen, this flesh will fight that. It will push that back with all cost. It'll say, listen, I'm only going to give you what you've earned from me, right? I'm not going to speak to you unless you speak to me. I'm not going to give to you unless you give to me first. But God's love is sacrificial. He, he loved us first before we loved him. And you must learn and allow the Holy Spirit to allow you to love others and to sacrificially give for them even when they don't do anything for you. It's a sacrificial thing. 
So agape love is unconditional. Agape love is sacrificial. Agape love is forgiving. Without doubt, this is probably the hardest of them, of them all. This is the area that most Christians struggle. If you'd say, what is it in Christians' life that usually keeps them from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? It's usually this one right here. This is the one that the flesh normally takes over and goes into overdrive, so to speak, right? Because the message of the gospel is that it is the forgiveness of sin. It's not that we earn it. It's not that we forget it. It's not like God has a case of amnesia about your sin, right? Lord knows the older I get, the more I forget things, okay? So if I forget your name and I call you buddy, that's your new name is buddy, okay? I, I forget things and I lose things and I can't find out where to put my wallet or my keys and all these things like that. And if somebody says, well, make sure you write it down, then I forget where I wrote it down at. I'm like, where did I write that down at? I go back to look and it's not there. Listen, forgiveness is not forgetting. Listen, God didn't just say he forgets your sin. He says he forgives your sin. You see, love is, exhibits forgiveness, true forgiveness. If we are separated from God, we should die in our sins and we will perish. That's what the Bible says. But through love, we experience forgiveness. He gives us this forgiveness. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Verse 14, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I thank God that God has forgiven me. I thank God that he doesn't hold my sins against me. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is someone has done you wrong, but you don't hold that offense against them. It is the opposite of judgment. And that's not enough. Not only does God, uh, God's love forgive others, even when they don't deserve it. I've heard people say, well, I'll forgive them when they ask for it. Listen, it's not asking for it. It's forgiveness that's given. It's extended from the love that's in your heart, just like God has done that. Remember Jesus on the cross. He was facing the biggest betrayal of all time. He was facing the excruciating judgment of God. It says that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. He was literally taking the wrath of God on our behalf and it was being poured out on him and there were there those there that were the roman soldiers and the political leaders and those that were there responsible for the crucifixion of christ and even in the midst of that moment jesus said in luke 23 34 he says father forgive them for they don't do not know what they do think about that in the midst of the biggest betrayal he forgave he said, forgive them. That was his heart. That's what forgiveness is. The flesh is opposite of this. The flesh wants to punish. The flesh wants to hold a grudge. The flesh wants revenge. The flesh leak, uh, lurks and waits for the moment and maybe even years to get the chance to pay someone back, right? And listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, all right? This is my heart as well. And maybe someone in the past you were looking around, or maybe even someone in your heart even now you're thinking about, or maybe even somebody in this room you're thinking about, like, man, that person did me wrong, right? And I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forgive that. But listen, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden as God's love begins to flood your heart, guess what? You begin to forgive like Jesus. You begin to forgive those who don't deserve it. Ephesians 4, 32 tells us to be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You might be saying, well, that person don't deserve forgiveness, but did you? You've experienced forgiveness from God. And what does it say? You forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Listen, when we take our list of grievances to God about someone else, He ought to show us our grievances He has with us, right? And He says, if I've forgiven you of this, what is it for you to forgive them of this? That's not even a comparison. And we ought to be forgiving and we ought to allow the Holy Spirit to produce this in our life and we ought to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. Some people say, well, I've forgiven him 10 times or I've forgiven him 20 times. I've forgiven her 20 times. You know what the Bible says when Jesus was talking to his disciples? They said, how much should we forgive someone? Seven times 70? How many times do we do it, Lord Jesus? He came up with a number that's an exaggerated number. And he said that the point of the lesson is, the point of the message was, no matter how many, how many ever it takes, it's how many times you forgive them, not because of what they've earned it, but because it's of your heart. And when we don't do that, there's a little root of bitterness that gets in our heart. And that little root of bitterness begins to, to work in your life. I've used this illustration before, so if you heard it, act like you didn't hear it before, all right? There was this grandpa that went to sleep on his couch, and I have this uh, uh, unique ability to be able to sleep on the couch as well, or sometimes in my lazy boy chair that I got. And uh, it's pretty neat because in between snoring, I can change channels, which is pretty interesting. Sometimes the kids will come up and grab my remote. I was like, I was watching that. <laughs> They're like, you were asleep, you were snoring. How could you be watching that? But anyhow, he fell asleep on this couch. He fell asleep on this couch, and his little grandson came in there and got some uh, Limburger cheese. You gotta know what Limburger cheese is. It's like a cheese that smells really bad. And he went over there and put it on his mustache. And so when the little grandpa woke up, he smelled. He goes, "Man, this room stinks," you know. And he went into the next room. And he says, "Man, this house stinks." Then he goes outside. And he smells. He goes. Man, the whole world stinks. Listen, that's what bitterness does. You let that little bit of bitterness get in your life or unforgiveness or someone, next thing you know, you're going to take it out on your family. Next thing you know, you're going to take it out on your job. Next thing you know, you're going to take it out on the whole world. won't be right. You know why? Because you're walking in the flesh and holding a grudge, and it eats you up from the inside, and you don't allow God's Spirit to flow in your heart and to forgive like Jesus. That's the love we ought to be marked by, forgiving, agape love. Agape love that sacrifices, agape love that is unconditional. Fourth one, agape love that's everlasting or enduring Look at the last part of John 3.16. It says, you shall have everlasting life. To me, this is the most comforting of them all. Jesus and God's love is not temporary. It's everlasting. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's a love that doesn't reverse course. I love how one writer put it. God's love never abandons you. He never walks out on you. It's everlasting. He loves you and He will always love you even throughout all of eternity. He doesn't get in the middle of the road and say, time out, I didn't sign up for this, sorry, my love is gone. No, we, we, this kind of love goes throughout eternity and how we fight this in our flesh, how we miss this. Because when times get hard or other people get difficult or things get hard in our life, usually on other people, we give up on people. We walk out on them. We don't show them love in the dearest times of their life or the hardest times of their life or even in the worst times. We turn back or we run out. But with God, there's no limit to His love. He will be with you from the best day to the worst day. I heard this pastor say this a long time ago. It, never, it always shakes me when I hear it because it always speaks to my heart. He says that God loves you 
on your best day, and God loves you on your worst day. Listen, it doesn't matter what you do, friend. God's love is not walking out on you, and that should comfort your heart, and we ought to show that kind of love to other people. The flesh gives up on people. The flesh walks out on people. Maybe here this morning, and someone who said they were a Christian walked out on you, and they said they don't love you anymore. Let me tell you, God never does that. We as Christians should never give up on love. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never fails. It never gives up. We ought to always go with love. We ought to let the, operate, let the Holy Spirit control our hearts that we love people with an everlasting love. It's an unconditional love, sacrificial love, a forgiving love, and a love that's everlasting. You're here this morning. You're a Christian. What kind of love is exhibited in your life? What kind of love is shown in your marriage? What kind of love would people say is in your family, your home? What kind of love would people that you go to church with say you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ-like? What kind of love do you show your enemies? What kind of love do you show those who are strangers, who are not like you, who may not have things that you have? As a Christian in our flesh, we're going to push all those things away. And in the flesh, we're going we're gonna to hate and we're, gonna, and we're not going to love people unconditionally. And we're going we're gonna to want unforgiveness in our life. And we're going to want to walk out on people. But the operate in the Holy Spirit. You need to pray and say, dear Holy Spirit, I want you to make me more like Christ. Lord, less of my love and more of your love, Lord. You know what would help your marriage more than anything else? For you to love like Jesus. You know what would help your life more than anything else? To love more like Jesus. Lord, flood my heart with your love. Take my love and do away with it because it is transitory. It's temporary. It's conditional. It's unforgiving. But Lord, let your love flow in my heart like a river. And all those who come in contact with me will feel and experience the love of God that loves them unconditionally, that loves them with forgiveness, and loves them eternally. That's the kind of love that should be operating in your hearts this morning. As we go to prayer, as you close your eyes and bow, uh, bow your heads, I pray this morning uh, that you would begin to consider this kind of love in your life. And if you're a Christian, this kind of love is not in your life. I challenge you. I challenge you to, to ask the Lord to take that fleshly love out of your heart and put a heart of God in yours. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to hear that God loves you. As a pastor, there's nothing that gives me more comfort than to know that I could look at any person, no matter where they are in life or where they've come from, and say that God loves you because he does. He loves you. He loves the whole world. He didn't put a condition on it. He loves you. And this morning, you can come to him by faith and trust in Christ, and your life can be radically changed. Your heart can be changed. And you can experience this God's love in your life. And so as we pray this morning, dear God, I just come before you, Lord, and I just lift up our hearts to you, Lord. I lift up my heart. God, if there's a condition of love in my heart, if there's an unforgiving spirit in my heart, if there's bitterness in my heart, Lord, I, I lift it up to you, Lord. And God is a people. I pray this morning that they will lift their hearts up to you as well, Lord. That they will, they will take their fleshly kind of love and lift it up to you and say, Lord, here's my heart. Maybe some even say, I haven't been operating in that kind of love in my marriage. And I need to let the Holy Spirit take control of that. Maybe a husband and wife need to just say, Lord, here's our marriage. We need your love in our marriage. And I'm surrendering, or we're surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here by yourself and your spouse is not here. You might surrender your heart and say, Lord, use me. 
to, to let God's love flow through me into my marriage or my family. Maybe you're here this morning, you have a child that maybe has walked away from God and your heart is heavy. Let me tell you, God loves that child more than you love him or her. And this morning, you maybe just lift your heart up to the Lord and say, God, let, show me that kind of love in my life that I can love my child like that. Lord, we come before you, Lord. And I pray, even if someone's here and they don't know you this morning, they can come to know you. The Bible says, when you come to Christ and you confess your sins, you become a brand new person. This morning, you can just lift up your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I want your love in my heart. God, I want to experience that love you showed on the cross. God, I trust in you. I believe. It's a simple prayer. But it's a, it's a faith in God is what it is. You just say, Lord, I know I've messed up. I made a mess in my life. But I'm trusting in you, God. I'm trusting in Christ that came, made a sacrifice for me, Lord. And I want to know you. And the Bible says when you do that, you become born again. You can do that right where you sit in this time. Or maybe you're here this morning. God's put someone on your heart you need to forgive. Maybe you're operating in the flesh and it's ruined something in your life. Instead of enjoying your family, you're, you're in despair. You're in agony. You're in pain. It's destroyed things in your life. And I pray you just lift it up to the Lord and say, God, create in me a clean heart, Lord. Whatever it may be, I pray this morning, less like us and more like you, Jesus, in our life. We're going to have a song that's going to play just for two minutes. As it plays, I just pray you continue to lift your heart to the Lord in prayer personally and just say, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it for your courts above this morning and do your work in it. In Jesus' name, amen.